0: Let the Become Your Vision podcast be the inspiration you need to step into greater things. Now let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is a really good conversation that I had with a woman named Kelly Trust. You guys, her story is one of bravery, and self-understanding. Now, I do want to say this is a podcast to listen to by yourself. You don't want to listen to this with children around. So I'm just, fair warning there. So let me give you a little background on Kelly. So she's a certified athletic trainer, but she lives a life completely different than how she was brought up. So Kelly was raised Mormon, grew up in Utah, graduated from Brigham Young University. She, in the past, I believe, I don't know how recent, but she left her religion, I want to say in the past year or two, maybe even sooner than that. But she left her religion, went through a difficult divorce, and She has created this new life for herself. She's a sports massage therapist for bodybuilders. She's a mother of a two-year-old boy, and it's cute. You can hear him a little bit in the background, but he was so well-behaved, and I was just shocked how he just occupied himself for our long conversation. So like I said, Kelly is now a bodybuilder, and she also strives to use her religious trauma to help others understand the harm that purity culture can have on people. And this story isn't about bashing the Mormon religion. Uh, and you can tell that Kelly has a lot of love for for her family and she kind of softens the blow in some of her messages in order to protect her family and we didn't get into the relationship her and her family have now a whole lot just honestly is because we um, ran out of time I had to go pick up my kids but what I gathered was that they all still have a love for he, or each other and Kelly and one of her sisters are really close they can share a lot of the same beliefs and stories and things like that I don't know how close she is to the other siblings but she did mention one of her sisters with her parents I think you know she loves them obviously but she can't be her complete self around them so and you'll understand once we get through this Like I said, we could have talked for over an hour and 20 minutes. That's how long this episode was. But I had to run, pick up my kids from school. We also talk about, in this episode, we talk about fitness competing. And now this is a lifestyle that isn't for everyone, right? Like everything else in life. You know, what works for somebody else, maybe it could be a damaging thing to somebody else. But for her, it made her feel part of a community for the first time in her life she had never experienced that and through bodybuilding and competing she felt understood and a sense of belonging so I thought that was so amazing in this episode we also talk about infidelity infidelity we talk about masturbation so if this is something you can't handle maybe listen to something else Now, I did talk about, briefly, because I wanted to touch on it, um, there was an Instagram post that she shared. She was at um, a seminar of some sort to, well, she was having open conversations with people that left the Mormon religion. And in one of these posts, if you go through, she's like standing, you'll be able to find it. Um... Her her Instagram is in the show notes, but she kind of goes through all the stories that she shared that day. So I just want to hit on a couple because I did mention that post in the episode, but we didn't have time to touch on it. So through this um, seminar, she some conversations that were had. So a bishop told a newly married in the temple woman that her fertility problems were punishment for having sex before marriage. Another story was a stake president told a young girl that her dad was abusing her because a person in his position, or wasn't abusing her, because a person in his position a bishop wouldn't do something like that. So this girl came, you know, to tell this president, I guess, stake president, that uh, her dad was abusing her, but she was told that he wasn't because a man of that level would, wouldn't do something like that. And those are just some of the stary- stories that were shared in this post. And we're going to touch on some of the hard things that Kelly endured. So I hope you enjoy our conversation and the, wor- the reason I mentioned enjoy, yes, we're talking about a lot of trauma. But at the end, you can see how far Kelly has come. This is a very emotional story for her. And just seeing the way she is now, I didn't know her before, but she has such great energy, and she was really working hard to help others. So again, on that note, enjoy. Hey, you guys, I am so excited for this conversation today. Kelly, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, sure.
1: Thanks for inviting me. Yeah,
0: a little bit. So it's weird with Instagram, like I, that's how I find most of my people that I interview my guests and I stumbled upon you. And then I started going down this like rabbit hole of like reading your posts. And we're going to get into that because there was one post that was so profound that I want to share with the listeners and dive a little bit deeper into that. But first let's get into you, your backstory. Can you share What it was like growing up Mormon, yeah.
1: So, um, I mean, a lot of people don't know a lot about Mormonism, honestly. Most of the time, they just think like polygamy, and that's all they go off of. Which, (laughs) honestly, that's not so far off because that, like, there are some Mormons who do practice polygamy, the mainstream Mormons now, or they don't like to be called Mormons anymore because I guess it's not it's i don't know some prophet was like i guess it's not giving christ his real chance they want to call it the church of jesus christ of latter day saints that's what they want to be known by as like members of that church not mormons even though they do primarily use the book of mormon as their like they say it's the truest of all of the books out there like we believe in the bible i guess it's i say we i'm going to say we because it's like that's was my identity at one point. And so I'll just kind of put myself back in those shoes for a second. Um, But it's, I guess, you know, we have these articles of faith that Joseph Smith wrote that kind of outline our basic um, values, beliefs, those sort of things. Okay. Um, And one of them says that we believe the Bible to be um, the word of God, as far as it is translated correctly. So we believe that man has changed it over time. And, you know, it's kind of been manipulated for political reasons or whatever. It's just kind of been interpreted in a million different ways. So we say, you know, as far as it's translated correctly, we kind of believe the story of Jesus and all of this generally, but it's not like word for word. Hmm. But then the Book of Mormon, it's word for word. Yes, everything in there, direct translation. It's from these plates that Joseph Smith found, well, was led to by an angel, um, in the earth and he translated them. It was ancient Egyptian is
0: what he said. Um, and he translated it. Um, and he was considered a prophet, right? Because before I interviewed you, I was like, okay, I grew up with one kid who was Mormon, didn't know much about it. I knew he had a lot of (laughs) siblings and (laughs) that was basically (laughs) it.
1: Right. So, okay. So basically in 1820, Joseph Smith, um, this is, this is the story that he saw um, God and Jesus Christ. And he said they were two different people. And they came down to him when he went to pray in the woods to say, which church is true. And they said, none of the churches are true. They're all corrupt at this point. Basically here is the outline for the church back when Christ was on the earth. This is how he did it. This is like the truest way to form your church right um and then he said that this angel came to him and showed him where these plates were and then we later got the book of mormon and that's kind of how it got started but it was basically there was a bunch of kind of you know religious turmoil in that time it was like you know just after we burned witches right Mm -hmm. like (laughs) it was one of those there was kind of like a bunch of folklore and then we have all of these you know preachers coming in from um you know england and stuff like that and they're bringing christianity over and there's just kind of a bunch of you know religious um uprising i don't know what yeah. word to use <laughs> going on in new york at that time and so this mm-hmm. is like upstate new york okay this kid he said it happened when he was 14 years old um and then slowly as the church kind of unfolded he said that the true church was restored to the earth finally and we have um a prophet who has two counselors, and then we have 12 apostles, like Christ did when he was on the earth, right? Because he, he was at the head of the church, and then he had, um, like, uh, I don't even see, this is my, this is how bad I am at the Bible, but like Peter, James, and John, all those apostles, and all that, anyway. So, they try to have the same sort of setup, right? But growing up in this church, it looks like this, this beautiful, wonderful religion of Christianity, but kind of, underneath the surface things that you don't see Mm -hmm. um is it's a very 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 strict form of christianity there are rules on rules on rules and by that you
0: go into that because like what are some of the rules so you grew up in a very strict household easy to say
1: my parents very orthodox um practicing they still are um in in kind of the ex-Mormon world, we call them true believing members um, or TBMs, uh, Cause it's like that they, they say I'm, I'm a true believing member. Like I really like this is reality for them hundred mm-hmm. percent. And that's something that I've had to come to accept because it's kind of like for me, I, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, just kind of getting out of that, but mm-hmm. I've had to accept that that's, this is their reality. This is exactly how they live their life, is by these values and based on these things being true. So, and that's fine. And it's a it's a beautiful, wonderful, happy thing for them. Um, I don't think they see the damage because it's it's benefited them over time. My dad has been uh, he's so I hate to say this, but he's a white male in America. Mm-hmm. He's kind of had it easy, and he's grown up in a church that also benefited that persona as well and so he's had all of these things kind of benefit him so why not see that as blessings from God why not see that as him working hard and doing the things he's supposed to and and that's great and wonderful anyway so these rules that we go by like we don't drink coffee or tea they say hot drink okay but like hot chocolate's okay (laughs) so I don't know where that one kind of takes a turn. It, they really, they say they clarified at one time as coffee and tea. Um, so I didn't drink coffee and start drinking coffee until like last
0: year. So um, you couldn't drink hot coffee or hot tea, but you could uh, drink it cold or just no caffeine.
1: Just can't ha- so it wasn't even about the caffeine because we could have mm. soda. Like at first they said, no caffeine. Like this is, this is stuff that's kind of, I mean, we talk about, you know, gaslighting Cause they're like, no, we never said no caffeine. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you said no caffeine. Like, I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> what it was, but then they said, no, it, it's not no caffeine. It's just no hot drinks. And they clarified hot drinks as coffee and tea specifically, but not like they didn't say sweet tea, but they said tea. So nobody really drinks sweet tea either in my church. I mean, some people do that's the thing as it's kind of like a gray confusing. area. That, it's confusing and they never really outline it. So some people will not like, I grew up not drinking soda. Really. I drink Sprite because it was non-caffeinated, but I didn't drink Coke or Dr. Pepper or anything because it had caffeine in it. And that's what my parents told me They're like, yeah, it's caffeine. And then later on prophets and apostles in our church, like or the, the leaders kind of said, Hey, it's not about caffeine. So then all of a sudden my dad's drinking diet Coke at home. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm so yeah. confused. I feel like past this as a kid. So it's kind of that gaslighting situation where I'm like, wait a second, mom, dad, you told me this was wrong. You made me feel bad for drinking mm-hmm. this.
0: You're like, Oh, it's, it's totally fine. They didn't say that. It's, I don't know. It's a
1: weird situation. So they kind of lot-
0: hide it kind of like, instead of, sure. um, Uh, recognizing, hey, I made a mistake or this is why they kind of like swept it under the rug and really didn't address it.
1: Didn't address it, didn't talk about it and bringing it up later, they're like, no, I mean, they never really said that. And it's like, wait a minute, you said that to me though. Even if the, let's say the prophets didn't say that or whatever, you said that to me. I was there when you told me don't drink Coke because it has caffeine. And that's against what we call the, the word of wisdom is the outline of these uh it's kind of health guidelines, okay? Um is what they say. So no coffee, no tea, no alcohol um ever. So mm. like no wine, like when we do the sacrament on Sundays, we use water, not wine. Um so we use bread and water um for sacrament on Sundays. Um anyway, so no alcohol ever. Um, we kind of talk about eating everything in moderation, so not being overindulgent with things. Um, I think primarily that's to try and avoid addiction. Like, these are all good, healthy guidelines. Like, they're not mm-hmm. bad teachings. They are baseless, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning that when they were created, they don't really have, um, it wasn't like we're not all to protect your liver i think it was more of like a alcoholism existed since way back when and they're like hey this is probably a bad habit doesn't look very christian like to be like this let's not do this and you know it keep, there are things in the scriptures that say be careful with that
0: anyway mm-hmm. um but so you have a part, child a two-year-old right i uh-huh so how is the, your upbringing different than his in, as in terms of like, is there anything that you allow your child to do that you were like completely never allowed to do or um, values that you were taught that you're like, mm, I don't really believe in that all that much. And I don't want to carry this tradition on with my child.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's a few. So. Um, other things were like dress and grooming standards. So, like even little kids, as a little kid, I had to cover my shoulders when I went to church, and I had to have a dress that went below my knees because we weren't allowed to show those things because it was inappropriate. And it's like even as a for a little kid, like you know, you see a little girl in a sundress, you're not thinking inappropriate or shouldn't be right. If you do, you need to go probably see a mental health specialist, talk that out, you know, work on some problems because anyway but like even with a little kid so my kid I can put a tank top on him Mm -hmm. and feel fine with that and and be like yeah we're out playing and it's hot and this is more comfortable for you and this is totally fine and he can see me like this and just know that that I it's a it's a body it's not something to sexualize it's something that you know we have shoulders and it's okay and we have legs and it's okay Mm -mm. and that's that's probably the biggest thing that affected me directly is the purity culture that existed Um, in the church. I had a lot of direct um, abuse on my sexuality growing up. So me in particular, I had kind of an interesting situation. So I was born with a layer of skin over my vaginal opening. So I had to have a hymenectomy when I was 10 years old. So, but kind of my whole life, I had kind of these checkups with that work they're surrounding my private parts right but my mom in this super strict religion that doesn't want to talk about sex because it's the purity culture is so insanely rampant there um and i'll explain that a little bit more um but she doesn't know how to talk to her daughter who's a little kid about her private parts and how she needs surgery and what that surgery is actually for and you know and ultimately it was so that i could menstruate normally. And, you know, if I had started menstruating without that surgery, it would have like backed up and I would have had internal bleeding, all this sort of stuff. Like it would have been huge problems. Right. So I need surgery. It had to happen. I just didn't understand it really. As a kid, all I knew was I go to the doctor and I'm supposed to hold still when an older man touches me. Right. And that's like a really hard thing to explain to your daughter. Like, Hey, you have to do this because we Like they need to do a checkup every now and then to make sure that things are growing appropriately, that you can urinate and other things like that. Like they had to check everything and make sure I had all the parts. And they're like, yeah, everything is totally normal. There's just a layer of skin that was over her opening when she was born. And so it's like this thing that kind of compounded with growing up in this super strict culture, Mm -hmm. made it so that I suppressed every single sexual thought about myself or that. But at the same time, I was very early introduced to masturbation because I, um, just, I, I had those parts of my body touched early on and it was something that wasn't, it wasn't done with bad intention, but the place that I grew up in and the, just kind of the factors that all came into that. Did a real number on my brain because mm-hmm. then my mom figures this out.
0: Can you she- go back to that masturbation with not the ill intention? So, was it another child or? No,
1: just by myself. Like, oh, it was yeah. just not with myself. But, like, what I mean was, I was stimulated early and okay. I didn't know what that was. But it wasn't, it was not like I was assaulted by right. somebody. Okay rape me or something like that. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times right. these problems early on in their life, it's because they had someone inappropriately touch them. And ultimately, normally kids don't have people touching them or that, that focus on that part of your body, that young, um, for a young girl, just because it's just not as, uh, we call it, a, it's not normative. It's not like, um, the natural progression of things according to like childhood psychologists and stuff like that. Right. Right. So there's there's studies on this and I've obviously gone and looked into it because I've been like, Oh, this was me. Like this was something I didn't understand until later on in life because I didn't know how to understand it, but now I can go back and talk about it because I get it, you know, and it's a little bit easier to talk about it in a practical manner, but that's another thing that goes on to like my child. I talk to him about his body parts, like body parts. I say like, he just found his nipples lately. Like he's (laughs) so funny. Right. And I'm like, oh yeah, those are your nipples. I'm not like, oh my gosh, don't touch those. Like, or don't do that when I'm right here, you know, because then I'm putting shame on him for exploring his own body. And that was something I was never granted as a kid was permission to explore my own body or to understand my own body because we were told, don't touch yourself. Don't talk about sex. Don't ask. Like if you ask questions, it was, Oh, you'll understand when you're older or we're saving that for marriage or like that's something that's very sacred between a man and a woman. And that's the only option too. And that that's another thing too, is anybody who grows up in this church and they don't have 100% 100% straight sexuality, they don't fit into the molds of the Mormon church. And it, it's very, very conflicting. Um, the suicide rates for gay people that grew up Mormon are very, very high mm-hmm. because they're taught that they can't achieve the highest level of glory in the afterlife.
0: So are they kicked um, out of the church essentially? Or are they kind of?
1: Only if they act on those feelings, which okay. is weird. You can, like, it's not necessarily unnatural to have thoughts and feelings and be curious and those things, but we don't act on them. We only act on the, I guess, the straight ones inside of marriage. <laughs> it's like, okay. it, we're, you know, we're taught that marriage is between a man and a woman and there's no other option. There's no other way to do it. And so it, again, that's, that's so sad, you know, anybody who has any sort of queerness at all, just doesn't fit into this mold. And it's very difficult to exist. There are people who are Mormon and who are gay and who don't act on it and who say they are very happy in that place. And that, honestly, is not for me to decide. Right. Um, but I, so have you
0: known people in your, in your religion that were gay or you had a feeling like, okay, they're probably, you know, attracted to the opposite or the same sex. And um, like, were there instances that you're like, okay, or you saw something or anything to that degree?
1: Yes. So I actually, I was talking with, um, So we we had um, regular meetings with our bishops to talk about, um, like, the first time you go in to meet with a bishop is usually before your eighth birthday, where you get baptized. We get baptized at age eight, okay? Because we believe that's the age of accountability. So the age where a brain is developed enough really to kind of decide whether something is right and something is wrong. And after we are baptized, we are held accountable for our sins from then on, basically, after baptism. Okay. Cause baptism wipes out any sins you might've had before then. Plus anybody under the age of the eight doesn't really know better. Anyway, this
0: kind of gosh to put so much pressure on an eight year old to know <laughs> all these right. things
1: and getting baptized means you have
0: membership in the church. Like that
1: is official, like membership into the church. And so you're telling this child, Hey, these are all of the responsibilities that you're going to take on. And here's what this means for you. And here's the pattern that your life is going to go forward. You know how it's going to go forward. Um, And you're right. That's giving a lot of responsibility to an eight-year-old. It's like, I don't know very many eight-year-olds who are capable of thinking out the repercussions of what that means for them in life Mm -hmm. of being a member of the church and the full weight of what that, that means. I know some more mature eight-year-olds who are in touch with their spiritual side and like I have nephews who talk about the church I don't know how um programmed it is versus what their actual thoughts and feelings are I have no idea but I also don't want to be the person that assumes that they're just spitting out program words I want to believe their little souls have this spirituality in them you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but anyway, so, so that's you the, go
0: talk to the bishop and how often do you meet with the bishop and what is right. the First, um, intent behind talking to so
1: them? Worthiness interviews, right? Worthiness is a, is a hefty word in purity. It implies, um, it implies there is a state of being pure and not to being pure, right? So, you know, we talk about being pure and what it means to be pure, but if you, aren't those things, then the only option to think in your head as a kid is I am not pure, right? So um, they ask you questions like, do you have, they they ask you about masturbation in that interview. I was asked like what the law of chastity is, is what we talk, which is kind of guidelines about how to behave like dating behaviors. We don't, Um, really
0: hang around boys until we're 14. We don't date till we're 16. Are these Uh, single interviews, just you and the bishop and he tends to, he's a male, older male.
1: Older male in this room asking an eight-year-old about what the law of chastity is. And if I understand what the law of chastity is, and if I promise to follow the law of chastity, and if I don't know what it means, he explains to me what this means and so he talks about dating. He talks about sex oftentimes, and says, "Well, we don't do that before marriage. Do you know what that is?" Like they're asking. This is a man in a room with an eight-year-old asking those questions. And I had, I had gone to my mom before the surgery, and I had kind of talked to her, like, "Yeah, I, I'm familiar with this part of my body because I touch myself, and it feels good. You know what I mean? Like I was right. kind of because ex- I didn't really know what I was doing, and she." freaked out like oh my gosh my child is masturbating right like I need to I need to have her go talk to the bishop and I said I don't I don't want to talk to the bishop about this like and she says well if you don't go talk to him I will and I go no I'll go talk to him like I'm not gonna have my mom go in there and talk to the bishop like if if that's if this is a necessary thing for me because in our church past age eight, if you have any sort of sexual sins, which masturbation would be a sexual sin, you have to go reconcile that sin with the bishop. You can't repent of that sin on your own. You can't ask God for forgiveness and receive forgiveness on your own for a certain type of sin. So the bishop will grant you that? The bishop will help you along the repentance process and ultimately makes the decision
0: on when you have done enough to Repent! Oh my gosh! I almost like I'm thinking about you know you. I'm thinking about an eight year old girl sitting in this room and how I almost wanted to like get emotional over it. You know, sitting there probably so ashamed, so embarrassed, so confused, feeling like an outcast. You know, well, going it, to-
1: are not knowing what the bishop's talking about because your parents have tried to talk to you about things, kind of, but. Nothing's been explained properly. So then I'm hearing it from this guy and I don't know. So yeah. Can you imagine that eight-year-old's brain, like what's going on in her head in that moment? That's, you say it makes you want to cry. Mm -hmm. I Yeah, it made me cry. I was sitting in there crying in front of this bishop saying, I'm so sorry for doing this terrible thing, which It's like now looking back, it's a hundred percent natural thing to explore your body and figure out like, oh my God, I have such a different relationship (laughs) with that now than I did back then, obviously. But at the time I felt like I was poisoning my body Mm -hmm. anytime that that happened, because that's what I was taught I was doing.
0: Yeah. So now
1: I'm... any sort of sexual pleasure with shame and and judgment and secrecy and hiding all these things and that piles up on a young girl and then you know I start getting an interest in boys and when you're in the, the Mormon church girls are raised to be wives and mothers while men are raised to be strong men that have jobs and go to work and do all that. It's very family oriented church. Um, so our primary divine role is to be in the home as a caregiver for the children and to help support the husband in his endeavors. And I guess it's becoming a little more progressive now because women work so much more now. obviously it's like not even a thing man, woman doesn't matter. It's just are you a capable human kind of thing now. Um, the church, I think is attempting to catch up on that slightly. so it's not there's not as much shame in having like a female be the primary breadwinner and have the man at home but like they want someone one of the parents in the home really to be with the kids but it's been very traditionally over time a woman is in the home the woman is the because she gives birth to the kids and she is uh someone who's going to make sure that they get off to school and they have their lunches packed and when they get home there's dinner ready for everybody and we get everybody ready for bed And we all have family prayer and we have scripture study every single day together as a family. Every Monday night, we have family home evening. And then every Wednesday evening, the youth go off and have a little get together. And then weekends, we make sure that you're home by midnight because the Holy Ghost goes to bed at
0: midnight. Everybody (laughs) has to be home by midnight.
1: Yeah, pretty much. We just like we didn't have curfews past that. Like sometimes on Fridays, it would be like one o'clock, but definitely on Saturday, it was midnight because we didn't want to bleed into the Sabbath. Like, like I really had to be home before midnight because the Sabbath day, Sunday was a very sacred day. We didn't do anything on Sunday. We didn't go shopping because that would be causing other people to work on Sunday because we didn't work on Sundays. We didn't play sports on Sundays. We didn't do anything that would distract us from feeling the spirit that day. So we went to church for three hours on Sunday. We would have an hour and 10 ish was sacrament meeting where we would have like speakers. We would take the sacrament every week to renew our baptismal covenants, to remember heavenly father, to take on the name of Jesus Christ and always be an example, those sort of things. It was kind of, it was honestly, it was a good, um, it was a ritual, but it was a good reminder of, Hey, I'm going to focus again on, on getting my life straight and doing good things and, and refocus, you know, ultimately I have to look back on it and see the, um, the, you know, take the meat, spit out the bones, that kind of thing. So it's not on- So
0: painful <laughs> probably
1: <laughs> it's exactly. Cause look, cause I can look back and be like, I sat there and hated every moment of my life, but no, it's, it's, there were good things. Right. And the next hour was kind of Sunday school. We kind of split up by, um, ages. And then the last hour we split up men and women and the women, older women would go meet. And then we would have young women. And then, you know, all the little kids were together. And then we would have the older men was the priesthood because they, um, the men were given the power of God at a certain age, at age 12, um, the Aaronic priesthood. And then later on we get the Melchizedek priesthood, which is a different level of, of, uh, ability. And I, I don't want to say abilities given to you, but you can do different things with different kind of levels of priesthood in the church as a male women never get the priesthood. We never have ability to perform blessings to, um, to, to do ordinances, except for kind of in the temple. Um, mm. The temple is a very sacred place. It's somewhere that you go, um, either before you get married, before you go on a mission, um, for the church, which most males in the church go and serve two years, um, away from their family. They don't have, they don't date anybody. They don't, Play any sports. They don't do anything except for preach the gospel. And their
0: job is to go. Do- I mean, this is going to sound maybe ignorant, yeah. but the no. boys that are like riding the bike and the white shirts yeah. and things like that, going to like house to house or whatever they're that's their job, right? Yeah. They go door to door and they ask people
1: basically if they've ever heard of Jesus Christ or if they are religious and if they want to hear more about our church, because they're, they're preaching the gospel and they're trying to get people to join the church ultimately. I mean, good intentions. I would say, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, I have issues with this now because, um, when I was a kid, I went with my family and we lived in Paraguay for three years where my dad was a mission president. Um, and so I lived in Asuncion Paraguay and my dad was over all of the missionaries there. So those guys that are riding on bikes around Paraguay, they all reported to my dad for three years. Um, So I grew up on missionary work is what we call it, on preaching the gospel to people on sharing this message of Jesus with the world. It's something that I was always very like I I told my friends about my religion. I was very open about it. I, you know, people would make fun of me and say, oh, Mormons can't look at the color green to try and make fun of me because there's so many like weird rules that we have, which yes, there are, but I would just be like, yeah. And you know, we don't drink coffee because we feel like it's something you can become dependent on and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like I would try and share messages that way. Even when people were making fun of me, I was never afraid of people coming at me because I was Mormon because it happened all the time, you know, when people would talk about polygamy. Um, mainstream Mormonism doesn't practice that anymore. They believe it's a, an eternal principle that is brought to the earth at times when it's needed. Okay. That is out the full explanation that they give you nothing. And they say, it's like, we leave that one up to God, We'll be ex- it'll be explained later, basically.
0: So that's where the <laughs> polygamy thing too comes in is like there's fundamentalists that believe in polygamy, which is, uh, I guess, a branch off from Mormonism, right?
1: Yeah. So the original church was polygamist. Joseph okay. Smith had approximately 34 wives. Um, exactly. <laughs> <And the> youngest- <laughs> that's a
0: lot of emotions. <laughs>
1: it's a lot of emotions. It's a lot of emotions, right? The youngest one was 14. Um this is stuff that I have kind of learned
0: later after leaving 14, the church. holy crap.
1: I, we weren't taught this. We were taught about his his main wife Emma Smith and then we were taught that he was polygamous for a minute but then he stopped practicing it and they kind of they kind of glaze over it. Now we go back and we have a lot more like history and journals and books and articles and all this stuff and turns out joseph smith was kind of hiding polygamy for about 10 years in the church because it was illegal in america at the time Mm, i mean yeah it was illegal where he was and you know they talk about religious persecution it was because they were being told you can't practice polygamy this is illegal you to stop trying to marry our daughters (laughs) you know the youngest one was years old and she was told that if she didn't marry joseph smith that an angel with a flaming sword would come and smite joseph Mm. that was the story that he told her and so she's like well i guess i you know i have to marry him
0: yeah oh my gosh so going back okay so so going back to um you know seeing your dad's journey and helping with these missions and things like that. And you had a problem with that. Is that, is that something that you wanted to do and share the message or, you, and you weren't able to, or where were you going with that?
1: So I wanted to go and So women can serve a mission as well. We call it serving a mission, right? Um, they can go as well. They go for 18 months instead of 24 months, usually. Um, Cause again, our primary role is to get married and, to start having babies and to be in the home and not to be out doing work like the men do. Um, Primarily. (laughs) I want to say primarily because I want to give them that little bit of give that they kind of are bringing out, I guess these days they're trying to, in some ways, but anyway, so I wanted to do that so bad. Um, I was told by my Bishop at the time when I went and talked to him and said, Hey, I want to serve a mission. I would really love to do this. Um, and they had just lowered the age to 19 when the, for women to do it. Cause it used to be 21, but they lowered it to 19 right before my 19th birthday. And I was like, Whoa, I, this is awesome. I should go on a mission. I've always wanted to do this and I'm not married. So I've got time. I'm passionate about this church and I believe it's true. And what else should I do? So I go to my bishop and I say, this is amazing. I want to do this. And I start talking to him and I'm like, I know we're kind of talking about some things because I had some. Uh, sexual discrepancies we'll call those (laughs) because I was a normal hormonal teenager who did stuff but then I felt really bad and I would go to the bishop it was this pattern I'll
0: talk about that so you felt like you couldn't sorry you you said you were going to mention this you felt like you couldn't go to him because it's like oh I have all of these like strikes against me
1: Mm -hmm. he told he told me that I had too much sexual sin in my past to be able to go serve a mission wow So he denied me the opportunity to go and to teach people about Jesus. Like, that's what I wanted to do with my life was go and serve this church, give up school, give up jobs, give up everything. You're not working that whole time. You're and you pay your way into it. So it's not and it's I don't know exactly how much it is for the full two. I haven't like, cause I never did it. Right. So I don't, I've never done the numbers, but it also depends on where you live in the world. You get a different like stipend every month for how much money you need. Um, for girls, it's a little bit more because we need like feminine products and stuff like that and hair products and whatever that's worth a little bit more high maintenance is basically what they tell us by giving us um, a little bit, but yeah. it's, you have a little bit of money every month and you live on that. They pay for your housing And you just go around and you preach the gospel and you told me that I couldn't do this because I had too much sexual sin in my past. So I had kind of, this is is where my sexual trauma comes into play here. Cause you know, we start out these, these meetings with the bishops and they find out that I masturbate. They find out that I like boys and things start kind of happening with boys over time. And so I go in for these regular meetings with these bishops and ultimately I feel put on the spot, ashamed and all these things. And I confess these sins to Mm -hmm. my bishop and they probe with more questions. Oh, where did he touch you? How many times did he touch you? Can you show me on your body where he touched you? How did Mm -hmm. that make you? Um, Are you sure there's nothing else? What else did you do? Well, I need you to be more specific. Where did he put that? Where did you touch him? all of these questions coming from a man to a teenage girl in a
0: room by myself. Wow. And how long did this go on? So basically from eight to eight, like I, I think the first time I ever went in
1: like, well, cause like eight, I don't think they ever really like crossed those lines. It was more just like, like they're asking questions that like, I don't think you should be asking an eight year old, but the first time they actually kind of probed with those questions about masturbation, I was
0: 11 Okay, because you started early on and your mom was like, oh my gosh, you need to talk to the bishop. So that was like around 11. Right. So it was really like around
1: surgery, I was like 10, and then it was like 11 ish. My mom was like, hey, you need to go in
0: and talk to the bishop about these things, basically. Going back to your Um, surgery, too, because this is a note here that I wanted to go back to. So when you had the surgery, was something like your mom didn't explain? So was that very like traumatic for you? Like, Okay, you're going in and this is it. And we're not gonna really explain why you're going in. And what was that process? So she did. She told me that in order for me to have babies, I
1: needed to at one point in my life, I was gonna start bleeding from that spot. And that would make it so that I could have babies. Right. But that's what she would say is she it would make it so that I can have babies. And then Like, I think I came home and asked her a question one time because a friend said something that piqued my curiosity. So she gave me the talk. Right. And so she kind of talked about like, yeah, penis and vagina. This is how it works. But again, I'm still kind of just like in my head making this story. And this was like I like she, she honestly she tried for her poor brain that has no way of grasping how to do this with a child who like this this isn't a common surgery. This doesn't happen. I mean, it, yes, it happens, but it's not something that people talk about for sure. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. like a a normal, like all the time. Oh yeah. I had a hymenectomy when I was kid. no, people don't say that. Right. So my mom doesn't really know what to do here. And she tried her best to explain things to me, but I don't think she had the right tools. I don't think she had the right information. I think she was trying to be medical about it with me and it was bigger than that it was mm-hmm. more than medical it's your it's your sexuality it's a personal area it's uh it's we call it our private parts because it's it's personal it's it's something that should be handled carefully mm-hmm. <laughs> your sexuality ends more than just medicine you know i i can reduce things down to anatomy. i I, you know, later got into sports medicine. So can I talk about things on that level? Yes. But for a child's sexuality and talking about reproduction and sex and those things, you have to give a little bit more. I found out cause it didn't work. Well, at least for me, it didn't work. You mm-hmm. know, I still just had this curiosity in my own head, which you know led me to like, anytime I acted out, it was sexually like that's kind of how I like I was always sneaking around with boys, lying to my parents about where I was, testing my boundaries, that sort of thing. I didn't even actually have sex until I was 17 because I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't do that till I get married. I can't do that till I get married. But I was just kind of I was messing around and eventually things get there. Right. Because
0: so, mm-hmm.
1: I honestly, I was an average red blooded American teenager that didn't have a lot of. Uh, guidance in that department except for abstinence is key I don't know if you've seen she's the man <laughs> <laughs> yeah not to is to best <laughs> anyways so yeah I love that movie but anyway so that's all I had to go off of and it's just that's something that I am very adamant now is okay how do I teach my kid about sex right. in a yeah so it turns out there's a million books on Amazon about it now. And there's psychologists who've gone into this and they're like, Hey, here's a great way to introduce this, to talk about things, to have conversations, to make it so that it's not a scary topic to talk mm-hmm. about because ultimately the, the shame and the, the it's bad nature that exists in very strict Christianity is not healthy for our sexualities because later on, you get married. Like I had a sister who got married and spent the first year of her marriage feeling bad for having sex with her husband because she just had this shame in her head of Mm -hmm. what sex.
0: How many siblings did
1: you have? So I had four siblings, siblings. a boy who was the oldest and then four siblings or four sisters below that. So I'm the fourth child. So I have a younger sister and then I have two older sisters and then a brother that's the oldest.
0: Now, um, why in the Mormon uh, religion do, are there a lot of children? It's because they don't believe in birth control or? So we, we do use okay. birth control. control. There's nothing
1: against that. Gotcha. particularly, but We preach about big families because we're just, we're very, we're very family oriented in that we, we're just, there's very strong family bonds in this church. Um, There's a whole thing called the family of proclamation to the world, which is like an article that talks about how strong families are in this church and how that's a very core principle. So like I have an aunt who had 10 kids of her own and she adopted four. Wow. So three of them were African-American. The fourth one had down syndrome. And so she has this beautiful family of, honestly it's craziness but i love their family bonds they love the shit out of each other excuse my french no they love they are the best and it is yes a little bit of a crazy mess but i i always like envied being in their family because i'm like they just get to be themselves and they don't have enough attention on one person to, to have parents kind of getting after them. So they just, they just grew up all together and made it work and made it happen as a family. Mm. And I mean, I, it's like, I have my one child and I can't imagine how expensive 14 children. Oh like. my gosh. Seriously.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they, you know what, they had chicken nuggets and mac and cheese and they, they made it work and just
0: make it work. They, Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So did you grow up with, okay. So family was obviously a, a big part of your life and your religion. Did you grow up? Cause you said, you know, I was red, red-blooded American. And did you go to a typical public school or did you go to a school with all Mormons. What was the community like? Um, were you exposed more to, um, I guess the, to other religions and other, other beliefs, or was it very like restricted? It was very, very, very
1: restricted in terms of other beliefs. Like we went to public school, okay. but in the, and maybe this is just how I saw it in my mind, but this is kind of how I was taught. Um, not kind of how I was taught. This is how I was taught. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We had all of the right answers and everyone else had most of the information or some of the information, but not all of it. So they were just confused. And one day they would get the message either in this life or the next, they would be presented with the information and have the option to accept it or reject it. Um, And if you reject it, you don't get all of the blessings in the afterlife right but if you accept it and you do it's easy right <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway so i i didn't really open my mind to other religions as possible options for how the earth was created and god and op- like and it, like as even I was just kind of like, oh, I mean, they're just confused. They make up their own stories to explain the same things that I know that I have the answers and everyone else is just kind of like almost there. So, you know, when they're talking about this, this is what it actually means. Like, that's kind of how I would see things. It's it's. We we are raised to be clinical narcissists because we are told we are right and everyone else is wrong, mm-hmm. and we're the one true church and everyone else is wrong. So I w- I went to public school with about there was about twelve Mormons at my school, but this was like the school with you know thirty five hundred kids, so wow. big hole, right? So I was I was different for sure because it was because I grew up very strict Christianity. I was in Houston, Texas, mostly in high school. So there was, there were other Christians, you know, still Southern vibes there. Um, and although someone would, someone in my past would totally kill me for saying Texas is part of the South. They're like, no, it's not part of the original South anyway. But oh, so wow. Houston has <laughs> the Bible Belt, right? Like, there's a Southern Baptist there, but I kind of grew up in an area where there were a ton of Muslims and okay. all sorts of different religions. So I was kind of, I was okay with having friends with different beliefs, but I just kind of thought they just didn't know and it was fine. And I could be friends with them, but ultimately I couldn't ever marry them because they didn't have the same beliefs. My mom taught me not to date people outside of my religion, because if you, you, you know, you marry who you date and ultimately you don't want to get married to somebody who isn't Mormon. So why would you ever date somebody who isn't Mormon? That's mm-hmm. how she, did. and I was like, mm-hmm. well, you sense, know, and I it, still, I, you know i went to a public school i made friends with people who weren't mormon i would just secretly date people outside of my church because i didn't i mean i i tried to date people in my church but there wasn't there's only so many options <laughs> <laughs> and like we all hung out with each other all the time so i grew up with these people so they were really good friends and like we all ended up kind of dating each other at one point or another, because there's only literally, there's only so many options, right? There's like three or four guys in my high school that I saw regularly enough to, and so it was just a really confusing time because it's like, Hey, date somebody in this church, but don't go too far with them because you're going to get married and then you can have sex with them. But right now you can only spend time with them, but you can't touch them, but also you should explore that side of yourself without actually doing anything
0: oh but my you gosh have-
1: <laughs> this is what you're trying to teach teenagers right
0: so the people you talk about you were kind of going off with boys and stuff were those boys from the mormon church or were these kids from like public schools or both
1: they were both okay so, totally say i okay i i will probably admit that i corrupted a few boys as a, as a teenager. <laughs> like I said, I was always more familiar with that side of me, of my body and whatever. And so I just, I was kind of like, Hey, like <laughs> anyway, so yeah. I, I kind of, I probably convinced a couple of boys to kiss me that maybe were like, wait, no, we're not supposed to kiss. I can't go on a mission. If I kiss somebody, I was like, you know, confusion as a kid, right. obviously that's, that wasn't a thing, but um, like, but really you couldn't do more before you got married. You couldn't really do more than like, holding hands and kissing and cuddling. And that was pretty much it. Like that yeah. was the extent of what
0: you could do. Um, were the boys and, held to the same standards as you were as far as, did they have to go to the Bishop and explain this away yes. as well? Okay.
1: So they had to do that. They also couldn't masturbate, which I don't know if you've tried to tell a teenage boy, boy not his penis, but it's really difficult. Right.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: Obviously, again, for me now, moderation and all things, do you want a boy sitting around doing that all day? No. Do you want them to be familiar with their own body and their own se- sexuality? Yes.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So when did you start um, questioning leaving the church and started challenging those beliefs that you were brought up on?
1: So I got married at age 20. I met my husband when I was 19. Um, I, he was living, he was actually living in Georgia at the time and I was living in Utah. He was planning on going to school out in Utah and I was at BYU at the time. Um, I had actually, wait, no, when I met him, this was when I had been, so really long story short, when you go to BYU, you sign an honor code that says that you are going to follow the standards of the Mormon church essentially, which is, you're not going to have sex. You're not going to drink. You're not going to, uh, just at uh, sex outside of marriage. Right. Um, you're not going to drink. You're not going to party. Like there's no drugs. Um, you can't even have like a boy in your apartment past midnight. They can't go back into the bedrooms. Like there's a, a line, like there's usually like the kitchen is tile and then it's carpet. Like they're not allowed on the carpeted, part of the apartment like there's very strict guidelines on how to live while you're at BYU and it's the BYU honor code is what we call it I broke the honor code with a BYU football player and was expelled from BYU mm. but the football player was not expelled. wow he was not Mormon and so they told me at the time he wasn't held to the same standards as me so, so- you can go to BYU
0: and not be Mormon.
1: Yes, you can go there and not be Mormon. You pay a little bit more to do that. Um, you know, As a member of the church, you pay 10% of your income of your entire life after you're eight years old, wow. um, start paying tithing. And that is something that my parents have lived by um, and that I did live by for a long time until I was, so this is kind of you know talking about the unfolding. So I was kicked out of BYU for a year. I was suspended for having sex with this football player. And then I got, um, I went to Utah Valley university, which was just down the road, met my husband there. Things got better. I got married. I went back to BYU, finished my career there. Um, my husband wasn't as like strong, true believing Mormon as I was. Um, but we both were kind of at the same, like, chillness level, I could say that we weren't, you know, it's not like we were trying to tattle on each other all the time. or trying to judge the other person for mistakes we were making, which a lot of the people that you hang out with in the church are kind of like, you have to behave a certain way around them because you have to keep up this, this image of perfection. It is very much a perfectionist culture, a pure purity culture. Like you're, you have to be this shining example of the believers is what is there's literally a scripture that says um at all times and all things in all places like you are that's what you do you live that way but in it on the flip side turns into you know the the downside of perfectionism which is you know teaching people they can't make mistakes and that you're a unhealthy unclean person i mean we, t- we had that lesson with the the cupcake and you say all right this cupcake is you pure and clean and beautiful and doesn't it look so amazing and this cupcake is what you are going to give your husband one day this is this is what he wants right but let's say that someone licks that cupcake do you want that cupcake now wow okay well what if what if I drop the cupcake on the ground do you want it now? what if I stepped on the cupcake? Now, do you still want that cupcake? Well, you know what, through Jesus, you can become a new cupcake. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But but like the, the imagery of being a licked cupcake or a stepped on cupcake for sexual sin or swearing, like we don't swear or for showing your shoulders or for whatever thing that you rule that it is that you're breaking in the church that you're this damaged goods that you're not going to be giving and mind you giving your husband. Ooh. right? right. <laughs> <laughs> like, my body to my husband as a gift, like, no, we are getting married and partners together and whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I was really okay with that concept. I was like, no, I'm, I'm a strong individual. Marriage is about partnership. And, and my husband at the time was very much that way as well. Like he, he wasn't, you know domineering and that like he was he was a strong man in the church and you know he went on a mission and tried his best and those things but um he never like he didn't make me be submissive to him you know what I mean like uh, sometimes in the church I feel like I kind of saw these really meek timid wives to their husbands who are these very strong personalities and they kind of did whatever they said that wasn't me and my husband. That's not how we were. You know, we communicated together about things. And that's, you know, that's the reason ultimately that I married him was that we were such a good team. We worked together with things. I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like less than him, which most males in the church had made me feel like I was less than them. So this was like a, you know, a novel thing for me to have someone treat me like I mattered and I valued, valued. And was loved
0: and you know he provided all of those things for me so Um, when was the kind of like the downfall of your marriage and wanting to start a new life for yourself
1: right so I started so I was my husband and I ultimately should not have gotten married we got married too young we Mm -hmm. were married for five and a half years before we had my little boy um and In that marriage, I was not faithful to my husband because of a lot of different reasons that I could go into, but why it doesn't matter. Um, ultimately, that's what happened, and we got divorced. And being in that low state, I was kind of like, you know what? I've been spending my entire life devoting my heart and soul to this church, and what has it done for me? I've done everything that they've told me to, I've tried so hard to be the best I could be. Have I had my downfalls? Yes. Have I made mistakes? Yes. But I have also tried really hard. I read all the scriptures. I did all the things that they told me to. I had periods of my life where I was living 100% what this church told me to do and how to live, right? And I still wasn't getting these blessings that I was promised I would get from living this way. Mm. I was divorced. I was sad. I was depressed. I was, I had this child. I was a single mom. Now I, what, what was wrong? And I was like, was it, is it me? Because I cheated on my husband. am I being punished? Is that what this is? And I was like, you know what? There is this our church calls it anti-mormon literature out there that talks about the bad things in the church i was like i've never looked at this stuff before because they tell you not to they say this stuff is lies made up to lead you away from the church so Mm -hmm. anything that you see that you're like oh that's not what i've been taught it's probably a lie it's just somebody (laughs) trying to make something up so i go and read what well my sister actually read it first something called the CES letter which was a letter that someone wrote to the church that said hey I have these questions like you tell us one version of the history of the church and there's a million mistakes and problems with the historical data also here's all the times that Joseph Smith lied here's all the times that this happened here's the 34 wives that he had that we don't talk about here's the all this stuff like this is information that I wasn't really taught growing up Mm -hmm. I was taught Joseph Smith was polygamist for a time. And then that principle was taken away, Mm -hmm. but that's like literally the only explanation that we get. So we're not taught how many wives he had and how it was practiced and all this stuff. There is kind of some scripture on it that it says that he must go to Emma and ask Emma, Hey, this is a wife that I'm going to take on because of X, Y, Z, because the Lord commanded me to whatever it was. Um, is that okay with you? Perfect. We're going to do this legally, lawfully. We're going to be sealed together. That's what we call marriage a ceiling and it will be done the right way. That's not how it was done. He did it behind Emma's back all the time. And there's all these records of like, like Emma was the, his first legal wife, but his like 21st wife that was done like in the church ceiling. Mm. So which means he got married 20 times in the church before his, wife wife that he was supposed to be asking her about like so he was just very secretive about all these marriage he was marrying wives of people he sent off on missions to england to go preach the gospel he like their wives would be left at home and he would marry them
0: mm. so, so like, you all- started to find out all these things and was your sister kind of questioning the the religion herself or she was just so she and I have always kind of had the
1: same similar brains. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. He's my best friend in the whole world I talked to her about literally everything. So she's reading this and she's like, Oh my goodness, Kelly needs to read this right now. So she sends it to me and she says, I'm reading this. I think you should read this. We need to talk about this because mm-hmm. it's like, it's things that if those things in that letter are true, the church is true and everything that I've devoted my life to all those times I sat in a bishop office thinking that I was doing the right thing by being questioned. Every time I was told by a bishop that I wasn't worthy for having had a sexual behavior. Anytime that I, I kissed a boy and felt bad for it. Every time that I had that, that negative feeling in here for being a normal human. Mm. It's hard to talk about sometimes because... Like the gravity of thinking about all the pain that I went through over Mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. First story that somebody made up.
0: Yeah. Excuse me. (laughs) No, don't know about it. You were lied to. Right, right. Like that's that's how I felt though was like. And that you were a terrible person in a sense, you know, like you were, you know, you never received these blessings. You're like constantly told, you're wrong for this, and you're wrong for that, and you're a sinner for this, and but what an amazing person you are, and you know, and you've right. heard that.
1: I excelled in school. I graduated with a degree in sports medicine and got certified as an athletic trainer and work really hard with bodybuilders and powerlifters. Now I like I've done so many things that I feel like. <laughs> I feel like that my family could be proud of me for that because I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. Sometimes drink alcohol and I want to stand on stage in a bikini and be judged by people I've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do my bodybuilding to people sometimes, yeah. which is, which is dumb, but because I do those things, they, they don't support my, my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have that, a uh, same, feeling that my family is proud
0: of me you know mm-hmm. That's in the ways
1: I wish they were
0: yeah my sister
1: is there for me and, and
0: thank heavens for that um but you've but had anyway. to try to like conquer this territory like by yourself yes you have your sister but you know but she was living in Utah and I was living in Georgia and so I was I was by myself like all my family is out in Utah Uh, So you literally felt alone in this new place with, you know, your new son, your, your divorce, you're trying to figure out, you know, the life that you lived. Was it all for nothing? All these lies. And then trying to figure out who you were as a person. Like when you left the church, how old were you and how old are you now? So I'm 28 now. And I really say that I was like out out at 26. So at 26, it's like your your new beginning, essentially trying to figure out your new life. So you're brand new, like figuring out, well, is this really bad? Or is this a value that I want to live by? Or, you know, trying to meet new people and all, all of that. So I can only imagine how you felt just being at your, your, your breaking point.
1: Yeah. Um, I definitely can look back over the past couple of years and say that they were the hardest years, um, of my life. I feel like things are kind of starting to settle out a little bit. Um, and, and even then I still have my days where I'm like, I don't know what's up and what's down, (laughs) but at first, that was every day. Like I had to wake up and I had to say, okay, the church isn't true. Like the first thing that I did in the morning often was pray. Mm -hmm. And now I wake up at night. Like that's, that's not something I do. Cause I, I kind of had to, and you know, kind of swing the pendulum in the complete opposite direction for a minute to unlearn a lot of things. You know, I, I read untamed by Glennon Doyle. And so
0: good.
1: right? Like best book of all time. I love it.
0: So good. Um, if you haven't re- read that book, Untamed is really, really good. <laughs>
1: incredible. And there's also Get Untamed. That's like a journal version of it
0: that,
1: I, that like makes you write down stuff as it like talks about different topics, which is amazing because it helps you really think about what you've been taught growing up versus what you actually believe now and what your values and principles are and how you can, you know, be more open. And
0: anyway, so. Yeah. So when you're on this discovery, you're like, okay, I'm leaving this church. Uh, This is not the life that I want to live by. Um, How did you start to discover like, okay, this is what I really want to do. I I want to start bodybuilding and I want to start, you know, doing all of these things that were forbidden for most of your life.
1: So I have always kind of rebelled <laughs> in this, in the church. I was I, like fitness I got into with when I got married to my husband, he was an avid lifter and he kind of got me into it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. It makes me feel amazing. Um, but, you know, at the gym, they wear, different clothing and you're not really supposed to dress like that but i loved it i was like oh i'm working out i can wear gym clothes and then when i get home i'll put more modest clothes on because that's Mm. you know they they said you know while you're exercising or swimming like we could still wear swimsuits and but one pieces only can't Mm -hmm. show our stomach because that would be too sexual (laughs) um So anyway, but like, you know, we were just more, more modest, but I kind of used like bodybuilding and stuff as an excuse to wear different clothes that I wanted to wear. Um, And then, so I didn't actually do my first bodybuilding show until after my son was done breastfeeding. Cause I wanted to kind of give my body to him and say, all right, this is, he gets this for a minute. And then as soon as he doesn't need me anymore, I get my body back.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh,
1: that's, that's kind of how I used, uh, I used bodybuilding to come back after baby. Cause I was I was lifting before and I was pretty strong, but I didn't actually do a bodybuilding show until after Jackson, because I did kind of have that, that release from the religion of I, this isn't such a terrible thing to do anymore. Although my parents, Uh, my mom told me one time that I'm contributing to the porn industry Mm. (laughs) by stage. So after she said that I don't really share a lot about bodybuilding with them um, anymore. Like I have a bodybuilding show in Salt Lake city in four and a half weeks. And I don't know if my parents are going to be there. My siblings are probably going to come, but my parents definitely aren't going to because it would be too inappropriate for my father to be in a room with so many women in bikinis.
0: Okay. So, okay. So are your siblings a little bit more open? They are. Um,
1: just because I think they're a little bit younger. And I think, you know, kind of the younger generations, my parents are just hardcore, you know, boomers in every sense of the matter. I love them to death, but they just are kind of stuck in their ways and they're okay with that. And they're going to continue that way until the day they die. And that's fine. Yeah. They Say they're happy that way, and that's t- like, who am I to say they're not happy that way? Because I, you know, I say I'm happier this way outside of the church, and I hate it when they tell me I'm not. So, right. I have learned that even though I know they think that I am not ever going to be good enough again, I'm never going to be what we call um, celestial. So, that's like the highest glory you can get in the afterlife is celestial glory where I'm at right now, I don't qualify for that. Mm. And I know that's what they think about me. Mm. And I have that that's what they think about me and be okay with it. Otherwise I just can't have a relationship with them because it's really hard to be around somebody that, you know, thinks that you are doing things wrong and that you are living your life wrong. It's very, very hard to be around people you think love you are treating you that way. But I just, you know, so they, I've had to be like, okay, they're happy living that way. They truly, truly brings them happiness. It didn't bring this. And the only way that I can show them that it didn't bring me happiness is by being happy in this new life, not by being miserable and sad and depressed (laughs) leaving this. I mean, I, my, my world was turned upside down a couple of years ago because I, all of a sudden had so much trauma in my past, religious trauma, sexual trauma, things that I hadn't processed that I had to process very quickly because it just kind of all came rushing at me in the, if the church isn't true, then A through Z, which A through Z came at me like a ton of bricks. And I, you know, Love my
0: therapist. I, lo- I love her. She's great. <laughs> We've talked about therapists on the show before. Therapy is, is very, very helpful, and I'm happy that you found somebody because so you don't feel like you're so alone and trying to, you know, not. I guess, um, well, d- dishonor honestly- the past you because that is, you know, part of your journey. And, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of what you were going through felt like, okay, so was that a lie my entire life?
1: So the way that I have had to go back and look at it and say, all right, why on earth did I have to go through that nonsense? Because Let me tell you with where my spirituality was at for a little bit. I hated God. Mm. I hated religion. I hated anything that told me that I was less right. Which you can twist anything (laughs) into that. So I was, I was in a bad place for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm trying to like, okay with this um bodybuilding empowered me to realize that my body is mine and what I put in it what I do with it is mine um and no one else's and that's okay and if there is a god out there he would have made it that way <laughs> Mm. He wouldn't want anybody else to have say or control over what makes me happy. Um, like I, I've had to like really work through a lot of these things because because I I did feel very very alone and I did I was so mad about going through all this stuff and then I realized you know what. I don't have to be quiet about this stuff anymore. Mm. So I started talking about it and I reached out to this man named John Delyn, who runs a podcast called Mormon stories. And which is an amazing podcast that if you want to hear about crazy other Mormon stories like mine, um, that's a good one to go to as well. But um, he, I said, Hey, I've got a story. I was kicked out of BYU. This stuff happened. And he said, you want to come on and talk about this? So I got on and I talked about, you know, all this stuff kind of that I've gone through with you. I went into a lot of details, five and a half hours of nonsense. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Right. Um, But we went into into depth about a lot of different things, Um, primarily my sexual trauma and um, how that affected me. And I put my Instagram on at the end and said, hey, if anybody wants to reach out, like this is my Instagram. Talk to me. Tell me your story as well. And over the next like six weeks or so, I probably got about 3,500 messages from people talking about their similar experiences or their trauma or, hey, I listened and this happened to me too. And I've never had somebody say it this way. And thank you so much. This is the first time I've ever talked about this with anybody. I finally told my therapist about this time that I got raped by Bishop. I finally told this person, uh, you know, uh, like people saying me too. Right I've, been there. I've had my, my personal sexual identity was dragged through the dirt <laughs> my entire life. And the same thing happened to a bunch of different Mormons. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, so is it me that was the outlier or is it the system that is mm-hmm. damaging people's like, I, felt broken my entire life.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. First 26 years of my life, I felt like I was not enough for myself.
0: Then hearing other stories of like, I went through that too. And you're not alone that you had to find comfort in that. Like, no, I wasn't the black sheep in all of this. Like, well, I was made to be, but this was going on too, you know, for so
1: many other people. So many other people felt the same way. So besides the giant wave of validation that I felt, which let me tell you, was very healing because I had so many people telling me my whole life that cared about me, that I was wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, and that I'm the one that was doing the bad things. And then finally I was like, oh, no, 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 I was okay. Mm
0: -hmm. I was
1: okay. Like, I have to go back to younger Kelly and be like, you were okay.
0: Mm -hmm. You were
1: because I had so much anxiety and, you know, all this stuff built up from trying to be this perfect person. And I just said, it's like, you were okay. That's mm. what the sto- stories told me was this is normal. These are things you just haven't talked about because you weren't able to. And now that you can talk about them, you can heal and you can move forward and you can help other people with this because that's, what life is for. That's what trials are for, are for getting if you can make it through them, (laughs) make it out the other side. How did you do it? And can you help other people do the same thing?
0: Mm, I love that. And you and you are you are helping other people. And I want to share that too. I literally feel like I can talk to you all day, but I have to go pick up my kids in like three minutes. Um, But I'm like, oh, I wish we would have started this even sooner. I thought I was like, for sure, an hour is going to be the perfect amount of time, but clearly like we can literally talk all day. But I want to share if there is, first of all, would you, because for me, fitness has helped me through, through so, so much. Like I rely on, it. I feel like it's my safe place. Sometimes it's like when I have all these emotions and feelings and thoughts running through my head, I'm like, okay, just go to the gym. You're going to feel at least 1% better. Do you feel like bodybuilding has saved you in a sense?
1: Oh my goodness. I mean, when I was going through my divorce, when I did my first bodybuilding show and it was a positive thing in my life to focus on, I was, you, I was able to just completely be like, okay, what, what are my basic physical needs? Cause I don't know if it's like with bodybuilding, it's very, very strict. You put yourself, you get to the leanest you possibly can. You are a little bit crazy towards the end because your brain is so deprived of carbs and fat and all these different things that your body actually needs towards the end. It's not healthy for like a solid week. And then you go back up very, I I go back up very healthily. I have a, you know, a, a post program that I follow, but what I'm saying is, is getting down to my core, getting down to pushing myself in the gym was all I had that improvement there was uh, every single day going to the gym was the one moment I got to look back on me and help me and focus on me. And then the rest of my time was like this uh, existential crisis and my child and my divorce and everything else. And then go to the gym and it was back to my core again. Mm. It was back to me. So it, it saved me, you know, and being able to have such a structured um, program to follow as well. That was very beneficial for me. You know, I'm somebody who needs that, that structure. It's, it works better for me than just going and kind of doing whatever feels good. Um, I like plan in mind just cause it's, it's better for me, but like that, yes, it saved me. It's, it's, you know, the, the, oxytocin
0: alone that you get from working out and things like that and the hormones and all of that that and the community and I'm sure you've met so many people that are finally in your life telling you hey you're doing a good job or I see you or how can I support you and doing cardio with me in the mornings and posing
1: in the room oh maybe switch this up and people showing up to my shows cheering me on like it's just it's this crazy thing of What you want to do, you can have people in your life that are going to support you in doing that. And even though it's not your family in the way that you want it to be, Mm -hmm. there are still people there. You can still find community because yeah, my whole entire community was Mormons before I left. And now it's who makes me feel supported and loved and encouraged, not who I'm told I need to please, you know, Mm. Yeah, I, people who want me to be me, who encourage me to be me instead of encouraging me to be like them or like everybody else.
0: Mm.
1: So that's amazing.
0: That's what I have. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, like I said, I can continue to talk to you. Like my, the principal is going to call my, not the principal, wherever they go to this preschool program, but anyway, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, if they want to, uh, contact you is, is Instagram the best way to do that? Yeah. Instagram is where I'm at. My Instagram is Kelly Marie fit mom. Um, And I will leave that in the show notes, Kelly Marie fit mom. I will leave that in the show notes. So if you have any questions, if you want to reach out to Kelly, you can send her a message. Also, if you love the show, make sure you tag us, share a screenshot of this episode tag, share it to your social media and tag Kelly and myself. So we know that you are listening and what did you enjoy about our conversation or what did you learn? And, um, that would be so beneficial. Thank you, Kelly, so much for being so open. And I know your future is bright and I'm just so I'm proud of you and you should be so proud of yourself too. Well, well, that's very kind of
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> hope the same things for me too. It looks, you know, it's kind of like the sky's the limit now and that's not something I had before. So it's, it's a whole new
0: world. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thanks again. And you guys remember that, that you got this and we're here for you. Thank you so much for tuning in today.